You have put a new song in my mouth. A song of praise. A sound that resonates that all of heaven and earth may worship you. We tread the hills to meet with you, to see your majesty in all that surrounds us. For it speaks and displays the eternal God of ages, creator, author, victor. In love, you established an everlasting covenant with your people, and it's your love that captivates us. As children of the King, we rush in as waves unrestrained, overcome, overwhelmed, that the King crowned in glory and splendor would reach down to place a crown upon our heads. So we raise our banner, the banner we boldly stand under, the banner of Jesus Christ. From dusk to dawn, from age to age, your praise resounds in all the earth. Deliverer, Redeemer, ruler of an everlasting kingdom that cannot be shaken. We trust in the name of Christ Jesus, the only King forever. Welcome to Zion's Redemption Radio. This is Fundamentally Mormon. I'm your host, Mark Lichtenwalter. The guest call-in number is 917-889-8827. That's 917-889-8827. You can find this at blogtalkradio.com forward slash fundamentally Mormon. And the text will also be posted on my Facebook wall at facebook.com forward slash L-A-Z-U-R-U-S 1977. You can also find the text and the audio to this radio program on iTunes at Fundamentally Mormon and in the different Facebook groups that I am an admin of. Some of those groups are LDS Last Days Prophecy and Gospel Discussions, LDS Gospel Mysteries, Latter-day Unity, and others. You can find the pages that I admin also on my Facebook wall. And if you enjoy this program, please friend request me or follow me and uh, make me one of your close friends. We try to put out as many episodes as we can during the week. But I'm thankful for you to be here today. Let's get right into the reading today. We are going to be reading out of Ogden Kraut's books. You can find his books for free to read online at ogdenkraut.com. That's O-G-D-E-N-K-R-A-U-T.com. That's O-G-D-E-N-K-R-A-U-T.com. And today is the 16th day of June 2021. The guest call-in number is 917-889-8827. Emmett, can you hear me? Yep, you can hear coming in fine. Okay. Hold on here. Okay, I'm up at the mine getting loaded. So today we're going to be reading Ahab, A House in Confusion, Chapter 12 of Holy Priesthood, Volume 5. And I know I told you guys that my wife 
was only supposed to have games at 8 o'clock two times. But apparently practices, I, I don't know, is it a practice today, Emmett? No, it's a game. <laughs> I'm not 100% sure about it, but I know it's a game. Oh, all right. Well, I don't know what she's doing anyway. So Emmett's going to be reading, and he likes to read anyway, and I like it when he reads because he's pretty good at it. So that and he gets educated. You know, so anyway, I I actually kind of want Emmett to go sign up for seminary. <laughs> oh, man, that would be great, Emmett. If you would just sign up for seminary at your high school, it would be so great. You could come home and tell me stories. Anyway, and he's entirely asked to do that because uh, Mr. Emmett is a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So, he was baptized when he was eight, just like all good Mormon boys are and girls. And so is my daughter, Elodia. And uh, I encourage them. In fact, I would I would encourage us going to church if it wasn't for the hostile reaction that we get at church uh, in this area. Now, when we lived in Spanish Fork... They knew exactly who I was. The stake president actually talked to Thomas Monson specifically about me, and Thomas Monson knows exactly who I am. He knows no, he knows more now than he did then, but they knew. Um, Gordon B. Hinckley sent L. Tom Perry to come uh, interview me about my experience in, uh, in 1995 with Jesus Christ and the fa- uh, Father in the Salt Lake Temple. You know, and L. Tom Perry slapped me on the back at the end of our interview, and he said, well, God's the one that chooses his prophets, because we sure don't. And then when I asked God, am I the witness in 2000? Sorry, what was that? Ten four. thank you. All right. Uh, anyway, um, when God showed me who I was and why I was called when I was praying, and he gave me a vision while I was on my knees, um, he said that uh, when I said, well, am I the witness? Because I was confused. <laughs> I'm like, what? What is this you're showing me? And then it like dawned on me. And I just, I looked at him and I said, am I the witness? And he says, well, it has to be somebody. So, yeah, it has to be somebody. Uh, anyway, Joseph Smith said this time would come. So, and it's here. Anyway, but uh, we're going to be reading... Um, Chapter 12 of Holy Priesthood, Volume 5, A House in Confusion, and uh, I'll dedicate the program at this time. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We thank thee, Father, for the technology to come forward and to have this worldwide radio ministry from the church that you commanded me to organize, the Church of the Living Messiah. We love the Father, and we love the Prophet Joseph Smith for coming forth and doing the things to lay the groundwork for the restoration, for Zion's redemption. We thank the Father for the atonement of thy Son, Jesus Christ, or Yeshua, as his, his true name was. We love thee, Father, and we ask for thy blessings to be upon us and say these things in the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, even Jesus the Christ. Amen. All right, Emmett, I'm yeah. going to be heading down the hill. 
So I will let you know when I come back into service, and I will just be listening from uh, muted whatever. So go ahead and start in the reading today. Thank you. All right. Okay. We are going to be reading Chapter 12, A House in Confusion. On page 915 of Ogden Kraut's Insign to the Nations, Volume 2. Um, it's on page 168, on whatever that page number is from. <laughs> okay, uh, let's go. Son of man, thou dwellst in the midst of a rebellious house, which have eyes to see, and see not. They have ears to hear, and hear not. For they are a rebellious house. Uh, Ezekiel 12.2. Churches are composed of many personalities and nationalities. They are like a schoolhouse, with many levels of intelligence and understanding. Thus, revelation to, to the church has to be very general, to apply to all the members, or all members. Whereas, revelation to an individual is designed to fit, to fit the specific needs of the individual. If you have ten people or a thousand in a group, the only possible level on which they can be united or in agreement is the level of the lowest of the lot, and that isn't exalting to anyone high. Patriarchal Order of Family Government, Harold W. Blackmore, uh, 1974, page 70. Church leadership cannot rise much higher than the level of its members, nor does the level of church members rise above its leaders. Thus, sometimes church leadership impedes the advancement of individuals. Since church leaders can only dispense or can dispense only general information, individuals must rise above the general level of the church to achieve exaltation. All 10 million Mormons are not going to walk through the celestial gate. So every saint, using correct guideline, must reach as high as he can by himself. Most men, governments, and even churches eventually fall. Um, we are on page 169. Uh, anything to say, anyone? Yeah, well, just that there's actually 16 million members, but when you look at the statistics in the general conference between the number of wards and branches and the numbers that they purport, you're going to see that the numbers don't match up with what they're saying. There'd have to be 500 and something average in every branch and ward, and that's just not the case. So anyway, go ahead, Emmett. Okay, let's continue. Uh -huh. Page 169. Too frequently, church members are content to go with the flow, not make waves, nor buck the establishment. They prefer to enjoy the social comfort and security of the church, which serves as a type of teddy bear or pacifier. It creates a condition of coziness without real courage. Too often, a church becomes a cult, which, according to Lou Chandler, Chandler, one of those, is a body of people where a leader proclaims doctrine or truths and determines rules for daily life that cannot be questioned. And where individual thought is discouraged, a member is expected to surrender his or her intellect to the to unquestioned doctrine, uh, from why do some perceive the church to be a cult? Uh, Chandler, Dialogue, Summer 1995, page 123. An important distinction, then, is that a cult is a body of people following a leader, while a religion is a group of people following God. 
History is of little worth if we don't learn from it. Those who pass before us naturally and if we don't learn from their faults, failings, and disasters, then we have missed the purpose of education. What happened to the church that Christ established? That history should should certainly be of great value. Of great value. Professor James R. Barker wrote a book about the falling away of Christ's church. He spent most of his life studying this field, even going to Europe on this pursuit. One significant statement he made was, it is important also to follow the history of Christianity down through the centuries to learn what important government or what important changes, yeah, if any, were made in doctrine, organization, and government. When they were made, and by what authority? Apostasy from the Divine Church, Barker, uh, PP 5 and 6. And we are now on page 170. Anything to say? Uh, Mom's on the line. Hi, Kim. Hi, Mom. Hi. How's it going? <laughs> good. It's we going just started. Good. Where you at? Um, so I did not know that the game was away. So, so I was like 15 minutes late for the time we were supposed to be there. Good thing that the coach always has us be there a half an hour early. So she made it before they started. <laughs> My bad. That's good. Yep. But okay. I'll talk, I'll talk more about the cult stuff. Uh, when I get on the other side of the bad area, Emmett. Mark, so, do you have anything um, to add? <laughs> about the cult? No. The, the church became a cult. It, it is a yeah. cult now. It, it fits the yeah, I just got on, so I didn't hear about a lot of it before. We just got on here. Okay, uh, I'll okay. mute myself. Well, go ahead and mute yourself. And uh, Emmett, go ahead with the uh, next page. What page are we on? Page 170 right now. Um, I just finished the quote because okay, it was in the middle. <laughs> Thus, the purpose of this chapter is to study and learn some of the changes that brought about the apostasy of churches, or Christ's church uh, and to show how those changes can happen again. Jesus said that in the last days, false Christs, false prophets, and deceivers would become so prevalent that they would deceive almost the very elect. He is talking about his own church and people, and the same warning is commonly recorded throughout the scriptures. Apostasy is a continual danger to the church, and the New Testament contains repeated warnings against it. It increases in times of special trial and is encouraged and it is encouraged or is encouraged by false teachers who seduce believers from the purity of the word with another gospel. Uh, illusionary? Illustrative? One of those? Bible dictionary. Uh, 178. It has been foretold that much of the latter-day apostasy would come about as a result of persecution. Hastings Bible. Um, I don't know if it's just me, but I can't hear you. Emmett dropped. Can you hear me? Okay, yeah, I can hear you. I can't hear him, so I was just wondering. Yeah. I wonder what happened. He just has to call. He just has to call back in. He just dropped. Okay. It just it notifies me on the studio as soon as the host line drops and it, uh, the notification came up. So. Oh, okay. Yeah, I didn't get that notification. Yeah, it's because you're not on the studio. I uh, had Emmett do the studio on his tablet, so hopefully he realizes that he's dropped. 
Um, do you want to call him I real quick and make sure he yep. realizes? Okay. Yep, I got it. And I'll just talk about, you know, the cult, cult mentality. When you have a cult, you have a group of people who follow a man. Uh, religion follows God. When men claim to sit on the throne of God and they elevate themselves above the throne of God as the Antichrist does in Second Thessalonians chapter 2 or 3, you have that cult mentality. Um, and these men claim to be infallible. And, and they'll, they'll say, even if I'm not infallible, uh, you shouldn't criticize the leaders even if we are wrong. No, you should criticize the leaders if they're wrong. That's how apostasy happened in the first century, or the first and second century. Leaders were not, they, the membership couldn't say anything because they would be killed. You know, if you were, if you were uh, observing the true Christian uh, religion in the first and second, third, actually, even after that, you were killed for it because the true Christians continued in keeping Shabbat, the Sabbath. They continued keeping the holy days, the feast and the festival, or, or the Moedim of Jehovah. Uh, they continued doing many things that uh, the Romans did away with and actually made illegal um, for for the Jews and the Christians, uh, or, well, true Christians, you know, uh, to do by punishment of death if they were caught keeping and observing true Christianity. They hijacked the Christian church, and anybody opposing them or criticizing them was put to death. And, you know, the LDS church can't put people to death, but they will get rid of you, and they will ostracize you. And if you try to say, well, how is it that the, uh, you know, how is it that the scriptures say this, but you guys aren't doing that? Like, you bring up any kind of question. If you believe the Adam-God doctrine, which was taught in the church from 1852 well into the 1880s, you know, if you, if you bring up any of those things, if you believe it, even if you're not teaching it, if you're believing it, then you're out. If you don't believe that the, that the cult leader, the president of the church, hold on, let me unmute Kim here. If you don't believe that the cult leader is, is God's mouthpiece on the earth, then you're out. You know, these men, they proclaim to be prophecyers and revelators. They have no fruits of being prophecyers and revelators. And I even went so far with my state president in Vermont to say, look, I sustain him as president of the church, and I believe he can be inspired. But I don't see the fruits of him being a prophecyer and revelator, and I have not had a... Uh, I have not had a witness of the spirit that he is, so I'm not going to sustain him just because I think he is. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, like, stick to what I believe and whatever, but hold on here. You know, and that, that was enough to, to get the guy's face, face and neck to turn completely red. He was so pissed off that I would dare oppose. Now, I asked, so I went to three area conferences within like two months, I think. And the spirit led me to each one. 
And uh, it was really interesting how it happened. I just, I was at Music and the Spoken Word one day. It got out, and God said, follow those people. And I was like, uh, okay. And I followed them over to the conference center and into the conference center and right up to where the stake president's family sat, and I followed him in there right in the front. I was like eight rows back by the teleprompter in the middle all by myself. Like there wasn't a lot of uh, people in that section where the stake president's families were supposed to sit, but the room was full with uh, a couple stakes, and it was an area conference. You're breaking up a little bit. Sorry, I couldn't hear you. I'm 15 miles an hour and it's 65. Yeah, and it's breaking up. <laughs> I know. Oh, hello. I'm, I'm trying to get to the top. Dropped. I know. <laughs> anyway, but um, Thomas Monson was actually the one speaking at that conference, and he stopped, and he actually looked right at me, and he said, Oh, I have been in this building for many occasions. One time, a person in the, the whatever row I was in is the row he named, right by the teleprompter looking right at me, had a heart attack while I was speaking. I never found out what happened to that gentleman or something like that. But So I was like, okay, that was weird. And and then he went on with his talk or something, whatever he was talking about, which I don't even remember. But then um, the, the next time, well, I always say three, but I can't remember three. I remember two. So the next time I was at my grandparents' house a couple of weeks later up in Clifton, Idaho, and I was all ready to go to church with them. They said, oh, we're not going to church today. I said, well, what do you mean? Oh, it's area conference. They said, oh, well, where's the area conference at? (laughs) They told me it was in Logan. So I drove myself down there to the conference, and I walked in, and I followed some people that God told me to follow. And I sat actually so right behind the president of the church, and he was actually a first counselor at the time. He wasn't the president. Burnby Hinckley was still alive. But anyway, um, right behind them was the chorus, or the, I guess that's what they call the people who sing. And then right directly to the left of him, if he's sitting facing the crowd, I was behind him to the left of him, sitting in the first row in the first seat right on the corner. And so he gives his talk. And he turns around to go sit back down after his talk, and he stopped and just stared at me. And I was like, because I guess he noticed or recognized me. Anyway, while he was, um, after the meeting, he was, like, shaking people's hands, and he kept on looking over at me. Well, something interesting about me. I actually dated his great niece, and she told me that she got a revelation. I was supposed to be her husband. But that never happened. So I got married to President Hinckley's great niece instead. It's <laughs> just kind of weird. But anyway, um, so, but I was asking God, is he really a prophet? And he said, God told me no. 
he is a steward who sits in the authority of the president of the church until he whose right it is to rule and reign comes. Well, that's interesting because in 2013, God told me who I was. And in 1995, he said I would be the last of his anointed prophets before the before Jesus Christ came. Now, I thought when he told me that, when he said that he who is right it is to rule and reign comes, I thought that that meant Jesus Christ's return. But that's not what it meant. In, uh, in 2013, when I was kneeling before the Father, he showed me who I am and why I was called and what my ministry is and gave me my marching orders. And that's why we do these things today. So... Um, and it's gotten worse since I left the church. Uh, you know, you had Gordon B. Hinckley, who was like, you should be proud to be a Mormon, you know, and, and really putting forth that campaign. But then Rusty Nelson comes along and he says, oh, the, like to use the term Mormon is uh, giving, a devil, giving the devil a win. Well, um, if the leaders of the church can't lead you astray, and Gordon B. Hinckley was like pushing this pr uh, propaganda about how, you know, we should all go by the name of Mormon, and then Rusty comes along and he doesn't agree with it, which he never did. As soon as he gets into the seat of power, he's going to make sure to change a bunch of stuff because that's what he wants to do. Now, was Gordon B. Hinckley leading us astray, or is it Rusty Nelson? Or maybe they all are. And I, I actually say they all are. They're all, and they want you to follow them and not question their authority. And uh, I'm going to question it because I know they don't have any authority. They don't have the fruits of being prophets, seers, and revelators. But anyway, so Emma, what, you're on page 171 now? Oh, you, so. you like, you broke off and then you, so do you know where you're at? No, I don't know where I broke off at because I didn't notice that I broke off for like a little bit after I broke. Um, okay, just start on page 170 again. Page. Okay, I got all the way to the next page and was like, anything to say? And then no one responded and I realized I wasn't on the call anymore. <laughs> okay, so keep your studio up on your tablet and just mm -hmm. look at it occasionally. So... Um, go ahead and read page 170 again, uh, just so we make sure it's covered, and I'll mute myself. Uh, unless there's anything that Kim wants to say. Okay. Mom, anything? Okay, just go on. Yeah. Um, yeah, okay. okay Starting back from page 170, hopefully I don't cut out anymore. It is important also to follow the history of Christianity down through the centuries, to learn what important changes, if any, were made in doctrine, organization, and government, when they were made, and by what authority. Apostasy from the Divine Church, Barker, page uh, PP 55. Uh, thus, the purpose of this chapter is to study and learn some of the changes that brought about the apostasy of Christ's Church and show how those changes can happen again. Jesus said that in the last days, false Christs, false prophets, and deceivers would become so prevalent that they would deceive almost the very elect. 
he is talking about his own church and people, and the same warning is commonly recorded throughout the scriptures. Apostasy is a continual danger to the church, and the New Testament contains repeated warnings against it. It increases in times of special trial and is encouraged by false teachers who seduce believers from the purity of the word with another gospel, uh, illusionary or illustrated Bible, uh, dic- dictionary, uh, dictatings maybe, 178. <laughs> it has been foretold that much of the latter-day apostasy would come about as a result of persecution. Hastings Bible Dictionary, page 46. Unger said it would come from men with a form of godliness without power, but not from the outward profession of it. Unger's Bible Dictionary, page 72. In his book, The Great Apostasy, um, Dr. James E. Talmadge described apostasy in two distinct phases or stages. One, apostasy from the church, and two, apostasy of the church. Page 23. Actually, it should be stated apostasy from God and apostasy from the gospel. The church is merely an organization and does nothing of itself. It's the members who deviate from the truth and apostatize. That includes all members because no one is exempt from temptation. The question might be asked, why didn't God protect his church leaders from apostasy? This question was answered by Dr. Talmadge. The father of souls has endowed his children with the divine birthright of free agency. He does not and will not control them by arbitrary force. He impels no man towards sin. He compels none to righteousness. Uh, IBID, page 41. And we are on page 171. Anything to say, anyone? Yeah, uh, I just wanted to remind people the chat room is up at blogtalkradio.com forward slash fundamentally Mormon. For your questions and comments during the reading, and then after the reading, we'll take phone calls at 917-889-8827. Anybody can call in. There's 50 lines available uh, just to listen if you want. If you do want to talk, though, after the preview of the next chapter, um, push 1, and I will bring you up on the line. Now, when Jesus Christ spoke of false Christ, you have to understand what a Mashiach is or Christ in Greek, all that means is an anointed one. When you receive your washings and your anointings in the temple, you are a Christ or an anointed one of God. That's why it talks about there being many Christs. But there's one main Christ who is the first witness of the Father. He's an apostle of the Father. And a second Christ, Messiah ben Judah and Messiah ben Joseph. And Messiah ben Joseph is a, is a Christ or an anointed one of God. And that's talked about in Zechariah chapter 4, where it's, uh, I think it's verse 14, that talks about the two anointed ones of the Most High. And the Most High is the father of this earth. So um, when these men who are, who are ordained, and anointed uh, under a perverted priesthood because of what Heber J. Grant did in the uh, 1821, which lasted until 1857, they become false Christ in that way. Anyway, go ahead, Emmett. Okay, got it. Um, we are on page 171, I believe. 
Um, just finished that quote. The influence of wealth. Money is one of those luxuries that can be as dangerous as it is useful. It's not money itself that is evil. It is the love of it. Men have made images of silver and gods of gold. Without even knowing it, most of them end up worshipping it. Few men have ever used wealth for the purposes God intended. One of the rare recorded occasions where Christ displayed anger was at the Jerusalem temple where he cast out or he cast out all of them that sold and bought in the temple. Matthew twenty one twelve. Men were placing temporal things or temporal things above spiritual. The devil uses wealth like a precision tool. He is continually watching day and night in tempting and laying snares for the people of God. Teachings of the Prophet Joseph Smith, page 130. He tempts men to make small sacrifices of their principles in order to obtain wealth, and the small compromises eventually lead to greater ones. This was one of the major factors in the apostasy of Christ's church, because riches drew men away from their dependency on God. Ugh, I'm having a hard time breathing. Percussion was a terrible force against the early church, and as a result, many apostatized. But this served as a cleansing process and got rid of the dross. Gross. However, when the desire for prosperity became a destructive influence, it seemed to affect everyone within the church. Or in the church. Uh, we are on page 172. Anything okay, to say? So... Emma has asthma, and there is a fire, but I don't see any smoke from it. I think they put it out. So I just am having issues with pollen, I think, because there was a lot of that. <laughs> oh, yeah. So something interesting, side note, little tangent. My wife went over to where she worked uh, at her school, where, by the, where the fire is, and they had set up the base camp for the forest service firefighting hotshot teams there and her her classroom was where the EMTs were that's where they did the the medical stuff uh so she went to, she went there to get a paper and they're all like oh are you Mrs. uh Lichtenwalter? and she's all oh yeah uh, and they're like oh well we'll put everything back the way we found it because like they made a big mess anyway but they like um, they were, they're using her school for base camp, and they got tents all over the place. And, like, the, the room that's right next to hers is, was it, Kim, are you on, is it the communications team? Yeah, they were the communications team. <laughs> and they yeah, were so pretty, funny. Yeah, tell them when about, were, tell the people. They were so funny because they were like, what do you do with the naughty kids? <laughs> and I'm like, well, when I've exhausted all of my resources, then I send mine to her and she sends hers to me. And they were like, oh, that's it. We're sending Steve over to the other room. And we all were laughing. And I said, did you guys find the treasure box yet? And he's like, there's a treasure box? What's in the treasure box? And I'm like, that's where we let the kids who do a good job, they get to pick from the treasure box. And there's candy in there. And they were like, is it in this room somewhere? <laughs> they were going to look for it. It was so funny. Yeah, I just, I, since Emma was saying that he's having a hard time breathing, I was just letting people know he's got asthma and there's a, there was a fire, but I don't see smoke from it anymore. 
uh, it was burning yesterday, but I've seen a lot of hot shots going towards Colorado because there's a big fire over that way. Yeah, there uh, is. Down Highway 6. So maybe they got that sucker put out, which would be nice. It started by a lightning strike about two weeks ago. So actually, anyway, when, when we were ahead. there, um, they actually were telling us there's actually three live ones in the area. Um, so they were getting that um, the bear one out. But there were two other ones also that they had men on, too, still from that same home base. So um, there was, there is one going on in Colorado that's fairly large, but there were two other ones that broke out, um, uh, you know, when that other one was going. So they're still there, and they will be there for a little bit longer um, because they have to get those other two out also. But oh, yeah, that really one over in Colorado. In, yeah. Tonight I could see that. They it, still it have looked... helicopters. Oh, okay. Yeah, you were over in Price. They, I could see. It looked like yeah. a freaking volcano. It looked like Mount, uh, like Mount Pompeo or whatever. Vesuvius. Blew up. Yeah, Vesuvius. That's the one I was trying to say first. It was The smoke was massive over there by Grand Junction. I was like, oh, man, that sucks. direction, but I don't see any smoke at all, so maybe they're just putting the hot spots out, and maybe we can finally be done with this stinking fire. Okay, I'm going to mute myself because I'm going through Wellington Cut. Okay, I guess I'm going to be doing this now. (laughs) Oh, where did we end off? Page 172, I think. Um... Within a few years, church members were prosperous in temporal goods, but weak spiritually. What began with a few poor and humble disciples soon became a wealthy and powerful empire. Many Protestant writers grudgingly acknowledged the apostasy of Christianity under the hands of the Catholics. But they themselves had apostatized from that apostate church. And what is worse, they brought many false doctrines, corrupt philosophies, and perverted ordinances with them. Reverend J.A. Wiley, Willie maybe, described the early history of Catholicism. It is scarcely possible to imagine humbler beginnings than those from which the papacy arose. And it certainly is, or certainly it is not possible to imagine a loftier height than that to which it eventually climbed. He was seen in the first century presiding as the humble pastor over a single congregation and claiming no rank above his brethren is beheld in the 12th century occupying a seat from which he looks down on all the thrones temporal and spiritual of Christendom. (laughs) What a weird word, Christendom. History of Protestantism, Wiley, 1-8. Uh, Mosenheim, Mosenheim maybe, described the same wealth and temporal power of the church. They appropriated to their evangelic function with the splendid ensigns of temporal majesty. A throne surrounded with ministers, exalted above his equals, the servant of the meek and humble Jesus. And sumptuous garments dazzled the eyes and the minds of the multitude, into an ignorant veneration of their uh, arrogated authority. Ecclesiastical History, uh, Mosenheim, Chapter 2, 3, 4. 
Uh, now we're on page 173. <laughs> well, Mosenheim is a Jewish word. It's Mosenheim with the with uh, the flem. <laughs> it is a yes. It is a Flemish word of the Hebrew uh, culture. Anyway, uh, one of the things I wanted to say before I kind of got this plasma is. Um, you know, it's interesting. These men who claim to be prophets who are raising, are being rose up today and who have been running things for a while now, they live in just exuberant wealth. You know, um, I saw uh, when Russell M. Nelson became the prophet or president of the church, um, you know, he moved into a condo that, is owned by the church where they have church security where the president of the church goes. And, uh, and I actually know where his, uh, his ward is now because I used to go to church there. And, uh, anyway, but, um, they, he sold, he sold his house in Bountiful up on the mountain, up on the hill, his like just ridiculous, wealthy home with white carpets and like it just beautiful wood uh, furniture, not furniture, but like it just, it was extremely wealthy. Now it's interesting because we've been given marching orders from God about how things are supposed to be. And he said, uh, if you will be a Zion people, you must be equal in all things. And uh, he also said another quote that I can't remember right now. But basically, you know, we're not supposed to be living. Oh, uh, if you'll be, uh, it is not given for one man to own that which is above another. Wherefore, the whole world lies in sin, okay? Uh, Acts in the New Testament, just for the Christians who are listening, um, that are, you know, Mormons, uh, it says that the early church had all things in common. They took care of themselves. They took care of each other. That's the way it's supposed to be even now. But these men, with their wealth, they won't give it up. Not even close. They sit in their beautiful thrones of endearment upon uh, a general conference and roll around in their extensive vehicles and their Learjets but then you've even got like people like Denver Snuffer, who is a lawyer, who is eloquent with words and a very intelligent man, and he has decided that he is going to fool the people with his intelligence and showing all of the things, like I show, uh, you know, the, the things that are wrong with the LDS church, what they should be doing. He does the same thing. Except for the difference between us, is I'm a truck driver and he's a lawyer, and uh, and I'm telling people to gather and to live the United Orders and to do what God has said, and he's telling people not to worry about any of that right now, and he's also like running around in his wealthy vehicles and his Harley Davidson motorcycles and his wealth. He's not willing to give any of that up, you know. He's a Judas goat. But anyway, you can so you can tell in that way by the oh, how they treat wealth. Alright, I'm going to mute myself. 
Okay, I guess that means I'm continuing. <laughs> so, we just got to, I believe, page you're 173. You're on, Emmett, you're on. <laughs> Edward Given, in his masterpiece, Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire, and that's something I've read, it's an interesting thing, commented on the influence of Christian wealth. Prosperity had relaxed the nerves of discipline. Fraud, envy, and malice prevailed in every con- congregation. Wealth became one of the most dreaded plagues of the early Christians. Leaders learned how to gain wealth by making slight changes in doctrines for political and financial favors. The same dangerous influences have become a serious consideration for the present-day Church of the Latter-day Saints. It is not uncommon to see the or to see great affluence among state presidents, high councilmen, apostles, and even presidents of the church. The prophet Joseph, uh, I guess Joseph Smith, but it says the prophet Joseph, so it might have been one of the other ones. The prophet Joseph foretold of the danger of wealth within the church. You will live to see men arise in power in the church who will seek to put down your friends and the friends of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Many will be foisted because of their money and the worldly learning which they seem to be in possession of. And many who are the true followers true followers of our Lord and Savior will be cast down because of their poverty. Recorded in the Messiah Hancock Journal, uh, page 19. Supplanting descriptions. Er, sup, supplanting, I believe is how it is, the scriptures. Throughout religious history, Doctrinal dis- or differences and disputes have continually existed, and the issues are usually settled by those who have the greatest persuasive powers. The most learned and or the most wealthy, the early leaders of Catholicism first tried to solve the disputes by using only the scriptures, but that failed because of varying inter- interpretations. They then provided instructional and the guidebooks uh, and guidebooks which didn't help much either. They placed restrictions on church members that they could read only approved books, but such control was too difficult to enforce. Nothing seemed to solve the problem, so they decided that the best advice for the people was just to follow the Pope and what he said. The scriptures were all but discarded, and few people ever saw them. From then on, they just put their trust in the Pope for their salvation. We are on page 174. Anyone have anything to say? The great... King Shlomo, who the Gentiles call Solomon, wrote a book called Ecclesiastes, where he, in his great wisdom, says that there's nothing new under the sun. So as you look at what the uh, Catholic Church did in their fall into apostasy, you're seeing the same thing happen with the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and their fall into apostasy. And it's interesting because, like, the uh, Russell Nelson actually had a great big old meeting with uh with the pope in 2019 i think it was you know uh you you've got one world leader and you got another world leader and interestingly enough the lds church is uh one of the most wealthy churches in the world it's because they take the tithes and they invest them in babylon the great which joseph smith said that we should not do but they're going to do what they want, you know, and instead of supporting the members, they're just going to, you know, take the tithes uh, from the poor even. Like, 
Russell Nelson when he was in Africa, he was like, you should pay your tithing, even if it means you can't eat. Really? You should be supplying these people with food and shelter and wealth because we should have all things in common, but you're going to basically steal from the poor through through a false interpretation of scripture, basically. So and and another scripture it says that these people grind the faces of the poor, which is exactly what they're doing. So um hold on, I'm turning into the uh I'm turning into the coal yard right now. So uh we are forty one percent through with the reading tonight and we're almost we're 50 minutes into the, the reading, so I'm just going to mute myself. Go ahead, Emma. Wow, I've been reading faster than I thought it was. Uh, okay, now we were on page 174. Such a dangerous practice demonstrated the foolish, think- the foolish thinking of those early Christian leaders. But upon close observation, it can be seen that similar thinking has crept in among the Mormons. Pride and learning. Jesus selected his disciples from among fishermen, tent makers, and the poor. The reason is simple. They were more likely to be dependent on God, even though the rich and the oh, even though the rich and the learned have just as much need for God in their lives. They seldom think so. With their wealth, they can buy whatever they need or persuade others to get whatever they want. Education gives them a false sense of knowledge that they can make decisions for themselves without asking God. Church leadership soon attracted the proud and the learned into its highest offices. Knowledge is a great gift, but it can also be a liability. Too often, a so-called scholar leans upon his own learning instead of calling upon God for guidance and direction. Nephi understood this well. When they are learned, they think they are wise, and they hearken not unto the counsel of God, for they set it aside, supposing they know themselves, wherefore their wisdom is foolishness, and it profiteth not them not, and they shall perish. But to be learned is good if they hearken unto the counsels of God. Second Nephi 9, 28, and 29. It's like chapter 9, at least. Um, okay, and now we are on page 175. Anything to say? No, I'm good for now. Okay, got it. Um, is there? On page I thought I heard Tim. Is Kim on? Oh, mom, you there? No, I'm making lots of noise, but not on there. <laughs> oh, okay. Where are you at? Uh, about <laughs> in in price. Where are you, are you at, Kim? Um, I'm about. I'm on four miles. Oh, okay. So you're gonna break up here in a minute. Yeah, that's what okay. I'm gonna say. I'm about to break up. Okay, I will mute myself. Go ahead, Emmett. Okay. Um, I'm unmuted. Correct. I'm gonna take that as a yes. Pride was Lucifer's weakness from the beginning, for his desire to save all mankind was not of our, or not out of charity. He just wanted the recognition and glory for doing it. He boasted, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of congregation, or of the congregation. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. 
Isaiah 14, uh, verses 13 and 14. His motivation to save mankind was to satisfy his own pride and magnify his own importance. One of the Lord's first warnings to the church in this dispensation was, For although a man may have, had, uh, may have many revelations and have power to do many mighty works, yet if he boasts in his own strength and sits at not the counsel of God and follows after the dictates of his own will and carnal desires, he must fall and incur the vengeance of, of a just God upon him. BNC 3, 4. The prophet Joseph foretold of danger to the church by men of much learning. You will be called the first elders of the church, and your missions will be to the nations of the earth. You will gather many people, uh, hold on, flipping the page, into the fastness of the Rocky Mountains as a center for the gathering of the people. And you will be faithful because you have been true. And many of those that come under your ministry, because of their much learning, will seek for high positions. And they will be set up and raise themselves in eminence above you. But you will walk in low places unnoticed, and you will know all that transpires in their midst. And those that are my friends will be your friends. Uh, J.S. Before the Nauvoo Legion, Diary of Johnny Forgeson, or Forsgren, I think. F-O-R-S-G-R-E-N, quoted in Fate of the per Persecutors, Lindwall, page 154. <laughs> we are on page 176, and that is the longest quote I've ever had to read. <laughs> Anything to say? Arius does, but I don't think everybody wants to hear him. <laughs> <laughs> okay, then, I'm going to continue on. Um, page 176, I believe. Uh, yeah. Pride has always brought out the worst in men. Solomon said, Pride goeth before destruction, and indeed it has caused the fall of many governments, businesses, and even the church of Jesus, or the church of Christ. Jesus warned, Woe unto you that are rich, for ye have received your consolation. Luke 6:24. The ways of the world... Joseph Fielding Smith gave considerable thought to these weaknesses, temptations, and sins among the present Latter-day Saints, and called such to their attention. I want to call your attention to the fact that the ways of the world have crept in among us and are becoming established in the midst of the people of Zion. Right here. <laughs> Hold on. Oh, man, this is really annoying. Having asthma. Okay, um, right here in the city, Salt Lake City, which at one time was indeed a city of saints, but is that no longer, can be found all manner of abomination and iniquity. The ideas, theories, the fashions and ungodliness of the world, their sins and evil practices are to be found within the borders of our cities. Because of the love of the things of the world and the enticing influence of the powers of darkness, we have departed from the straight path which leads to life and which our Lord has said few men find because they love darkness rather than light, their deeds being evil. We have permitted the philosophies of men which deny the evil. We have permitted... Oh, where was I? <coughs> uh, man, this is really annoying. We have permitted... I just said that. Do you have something to drink? 
Yeah, I'm just having like a really bad asthma thing right now. Wow. That's right. Okay. I don't like being on this thing. <laughs> okay. We have permitted the philosophies right. of men which deny the divinity of Jesus Christ and mock at the sacred ordinances of the Gospels to enter in our schools and businesses and our homes, thus weakening our faith and our reverence for our Creator. With some of us, it is the custom to do very much as the world does. We dress as the world does, we seek its pleasures, we follow its customs, and there is no question in my mind that these things do bring us somewhat in conflict with things the Lord has taught and commanded us to do. No, it is with things the Lord has taught. Huh. Doctrine of Salvation, uh, Joseph Fielding Smith, 3, 292, and 295. And we are on page 177 now. Anything to say? I just w- I wonder what these old timers would think of all of this crazy nonsense that's going on today with trans transgender story hour and all the junk that's happening in the world today and like you know I think I think they'd have a problem with it. I know Ogden would and I have a problem with it too and uh, that they're forcing their agenda upon uh, the people. You know, and uh, and it's wrong for them to do that. But uh, something that happened in 2015. So let me give everybody a timeline. In 2000 or in 1995, God caught me up and told me I would be the last prophet. In 2000, no, 1997, I got my patriarchal blessing. And in that blessing, it said that I have been given, not would be, but have been given the greatest gift that God has to bestow, the gift of eternal life. Uh, in 2003, after years and years of trying to understand what that patriarchal blessing meant, I was caught up in the flesh after asking God what it meant for the umpteenth time. And uh, I saw the Father and the Son face to face. The Father started the work of the Father, which is mentioned in Third Nephi in the Book of Mormon, uh, by placing his hands upon my head, giving me the fullness of the priesthood, sealing, me, him, sealing myself up to himself, uh, making me a link on the earth for the law of adoption, which has been done away with in the church, giving me all the keys, not only with the fullness of the priesthood, but to the kingdom and the church. Um and I'll deliver those up only to Father Adam because, uh, well, anyway. So uh, the 2003 that happened where I saw the Father and the Son face to face and was ordained under the hand of the Father and became an apostle of the Father, and I deal directly with him and with Jesus Christ, but more of the revelations that I receive are from the Father than anyone else. So uh, it's because I'm the second witness or second apostle or anointed one of the Father, who the Jews would call Messiah ben Yosef. That's not Joseph Smith. Some people think it was, but it's not. uh, Joseph Smith was an apostle of the Son, not the Father. Um, In 2013, God told me to kneel down before him and ask him who I am, and he showed me who I am, why I was called, and all of that stuff. Uh, and also in 2013, God told me to 
do something that later I found out is in Daniel chapter 12 where I was to sever the ordinances of all the holy people and as the Lord's anointed is an anointed of the Father I had the authority to do that which he gave me in 2003 and then in 2015 he began to send spiritual and physical plagues upon the earth and that's why you're seeing all of this crazy lunacy on the news today not only with physical plagues which are man-made but some of them aren't man-made, but um, you're seeing more spiritual plagues upon the of land. And, you know, Jesus has told us over and over again to gather and to come out of Babylon. He says, come out of Babylon, my people, lest you be partakers of her plagues and her sins. And because the church will not gather and because they, the saints will not do as they have been instructed, they are in the world, and they are going to be partakers of her plagues and her sins, which are now prevalent, and her cultures, and all of this. And now you've got a ton of people within the church who are like, oh, they cry for the wickedness of Babylon. How dare the church not give in the rest of the way? They've already given in so much, but how dare they not give in the rest of the way so that we could be more like the world? Well, I mean, they might as well do it because they have no authority and they've already fallen in apostasy. But that's these things are gathering right now, and it's now. So anyway, oh, you broke up a bit. I'm going to mute myself. Okay, I'll mute myself. Okay. <laughs> oh, it's a good thing you chose to mute yourself right then because you started to break up with any of it. Anyways, where were we? Um, what page were we on? Um, I can't remember if we were on 176, 177, or 178. <laughs> 176 sounds good to me. Okay. Pride has always brought out the worst in men. So, oh no, we did read that. We're on 177. I do remember now. Okay. Um. Okay. Apostle George A. Smith confirmed the same condition in the earlier days of the Salt Lake Saints. I am astonished when I reflect upon the great number which whom I have been acquainted that are not now to be found, and of whom we have no report, only that they have gone off of this, or on, gone off this, that or the other way. Oh, this, that, or the other way. Among the great number who have entered on, or into the fold of Christ by baptism, few have remained faithful to the present time. Uh, 1865, Journal of Discourses, 11167. Idol worship. The definition of an idol is commonly thought to be some stone or wood image that people pray to. But the dictionary says idol can be a god or saint, or that which the affections are passionately set. Uh, An idoler is one who is inordinately fond of some person or thing. New Internal Dictionary. Uh, 1-628. Many leading Egyptians, Greeks, and Romans... (laughs) thought that they were some kind of god. Some of them fatally learned that they were not. That lofty assumption has not ceased down through history. Men who place too much affection or attention upon wealth, property, or another person are, in effect, embracing a form of idolatry. These things, or those things, become like a god to them, and their esteem becomes a form of worship. These sins entered into the 
early Church of Christ among both members and leaders, attributing greatly to its apostasy. We should avoid exalting the leaders so high that no one dares question or disagree with them, setting them up as some kind of idols for idolaters, or idolaters, idolaters to worship. Okay, now we're on page 178. Anything to say there? Idolaters. Okay. <laughs> um, okay. Well, and an idol, and, uh, the true meaning of idol means anything that you place in front of God. So a man who proclaims to be a prophet can become an idol, and he wants to be worshipped in the way that you worship an idol. But he says, oh, I'm just doing it for God, but he's really not. So a true prophet will direct the people to get revelation for themselves and teach true principles, and that's what they're supposed to do. Let the people repent, whatever. But an idol... A false prophet or a cult leader wants to be worshipped, and he doesn't allow disobedience in the form of questioning, you know, and just like uh, Dallin H. Oaks, who is first counselor in the first presidency now, you know, he says, even if we're wrong, you shouldn't criticize the leaders. That is what a cult leader does. That is what an idol does. And I, so I, I've, I, over, over the many years that I've been in, a member of the LDS Church, I've met so many people who want to be the prophet. They only want to be the prophet, not because they've read the Old Testament, they find out what kind of hell a prophet's life can be, because anytime you raise yourself up in the devil's kingdom, he will come after you if you're a true prophet. But if you're not a true prophet, you'll become popular. Right? You just broke up the whole ten, and I think you still are. What's that? Both of you were just, like, breaking up a ten. Like, a lot. Yeah. And, unfortunately, I have to do this work until I can be supported in the ministry, and I don't even want to be supported in the ministry. I want to do the work. But, anyway, so... um, when they stand up there and want you to focus on them and not question their authority, unless you be kicked out of the church or punished in some way, they become idle. And that's all these men are. They're just idle. Anyway, go ahead, Emma. Okay, um, let me continue. I keep having, like, this cough. Uh Regrettably, however, excessive praises have crept into the Mormon church. For example, during one recent general conference, the following adulations and praises were voiced about President Gordon B. Hinckley. He, Hinckley, was prepared and foreordained before the foundation of the world. For over half a century, he has been taught and tutored by apostles and prophets with whom he has served. He is wise, he is caring, he speaks for the Lord. He is the voice to which we should now respond. Our spiritual safety lies in turning to the clear voice of our living prophet. If we listen to his voice and obey his counsel, he will be able to live as Christ would have, or Christ would have us live. Robert Hales, Enzyme, May 1955, page 17. I have been acquainted with him, Hinkley again, since my early youth, and have observed firsthand that the fabric of his noble character contains not a single shoddy thread from the living water of the Lord 
has restored his uh, and his restored gospel. President Hinckley has drunk deeply throughout his entire lifetime. Because of his righteous obedience, streams of living water have flowed and will continue to flow from him to quench the thirst of a spiritually parched world. Joseph B. Worthwin? Worthwin? I can't pronounce that very well. IBID, uh, page just, 20. It's just Worthwin. He was uh, an apostle in the church in recent history. That is just a weirdly spelled name. <laughs> um, what does IBID stand for? IBID? IBID. Yeah. Okay, so anytime it says IBID, it's it's quoting the last quote. So if the last quote oh. was teachings of the prophet Joseph Smith, and then and then it it also quotes the next quote, uh, starts in the next quote. Oh. It's just continuing on with the. Uh, the last quote, so I don't know what it's saying, so but I know that, that's okay. So yeah, it's anytime you see I did, it's the last. And okay. they only did that to save ink, and I can't stand it. But whatever, because it's yeah. like, wait, which, what was that again? What did I just read? Oh, oh, okay. Anyway, go ahead, Emma. Okay, yeah. So it is I did uh, Ensign May nineteen ninety five page thirty seven. <laughs> Mosenheim, a noted historian of early, the early Christian church, noted how easily the weaknesses of men caused the failure of Christ's own church. There was no institution so pure and excellent which the corruption and the folly of man will not in time alter for the worse and load with additions foreign to its nature and the original design. Such in a particular manner was the fate of Christianity. See, I think... Oh, I don't know. ECC History, Century 2, Part 2, Chapter 4. And we are on page 179. Anything to say, Dad? Maybe it's yeah, that's ecclesiastical, ecclesiastical <laughs> yeah. history of the Century, Part 2, or Volume 2, Part 2, Chapter 4. And no, <laughs> yeah. I don't have anything to say. Okay, so let's continue. <laughs> Even the apostles, the apostles, the apostles of Christ contended over who was the greatest, the most learned, the best speaker, the most experienced, the wealthiest, and the most senior member. Because of these weaknesses, they began to idolize themselves and others. The ancient prophets had warned of this tendency, and uh, Abraham Gilday, or Gilday. It's Abraham Gileadi. Abraham Gileadi. Yes. Abraham Gileadi. Recorded, the idea of human idols flows naturally out of other forms of idolatry. Indeed, many gods of myth and ritual had human uh, beginnings, some claiming divine parentage or ancestry. Um, <clears throat> the Hebrew prophets refer referred to various individuals as false gods. Jeremiah calls an apostle ruler in... Judah, Judah, uh, despised broken idol, uh, Jeremiah twenty-two twenty-eight. Uh, Zechariah describes false prophets as idols who speak folly and singles out a certain idol shepherd who forsakes the flock, uh, Zechariah ten two and eleven seventeen. Instead of feeding the flock, this religious leader consumes the flesh of the fattest, uh, uh, the same one except for eleven sixteen. 
The Lord punishes him by smiting him in the arm and blinding him in one eye. The same one, 1117, um, in mock imitation of a married statue. This punishment renders the religious leader ritually blemished and his ministry illegitimate. The Last Days, uh, Gileadi, Gileadi, page 31. Our God is a jealous God and takes offense at such conduct. The punishment, as Gileadi mentioned, is sometimes a physical affliction, which the prophet said was an indication that their ministry is illegitimate. Many leaders in the Mormon church during the last centuries had serious afflictions, some becoming completely incapable of functioning in their office and college, like that one person who got throat cancer. <laughs> According to ancient scriptures, this could mean that God does not approve of their administrations. Page 180. Anything to say? <laughs> I'm in Sunnyside Gap. Can you hear me? Yes. His throat cancer was Spencer W. Kimball. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you're breaking up now. Church. Yeah, I know. I'm in a bad area. He, he gave the Canaanites the priesthood and allowed them in the temple, which Zechariah chapter 14 says, in the millennium, that will be, uh, you know, that'll be corrected in the millennium. So, but he did it. He's just going to do what he wanted to do because he wanted to be, uh, he raised himself above the th- throne of God, you know, and doing things he ought not to have done. He did not receive any revelation from God to do that. He received a revelation from Jimmy Carter who threatened him with uh, taking their tax-exempt status away from the church, which, you know, they didn't want to lose their money and their wealth and their power. So Kimball did something that he was uh, previously taught in his lifetime not to do. And Zacharias saw in the millennium that, that in that day there will be no more Canaanite in the house of the Lord which means they shouldn't have been in there to begin with, and there has to be a correction. And we know that there has to be a correction because Jesus Christ in section 85 said he would have to send one mighty and strong, holding the scepter of power in his hand, clothed with light for a covering, to set the house of God in order. Now, some people think this isn't going to be an angel because he's clothed with light for a covering, but Joseph Smith said no angel can come do the things that are meant for man to do on the earth so that would contradict if that were the case uh, former teaching but Kim are you on Kimberly yeah I am sorry Uh, I just got in and the little girls just got back from church too so we're directing everybody (laughs) can you real quick uh, okay so Kim is the only witness She's not a witness, but she's a witness of a witness, okay? And so I don't have many of them, but I've had many people over the years uh, tell me that as I preached to them, um, they could see light around me. Now, it was interesting. I was up in Caldwell, Idaho at a truck stop. Maybe it was Napa, Idaho. And I was preaching to three men in the driver's lounge, and one of them said, I see light around you, and the other two couldn't see it. So I don't know who can see it or when they can see it. I can feel it on me when it gets strong, 
it's the anointing power of God. But there has been times when other people have seen light around me as well. So this whole thing about closeless light for a covering is really interesting. And Kim, although she has not seen this phenomenon take place, she is a witness of somebody who did see it when we were at the Provo Rec Center. He said yesterday when yeah. you were preaching, go ahead and tell the story, Kim. Yeah, um, so we were, we used to talk to this man a lot. Um, I can't remember what his name is. Um, really nice guy. Uh, we used to talk, just chat with him. Well, yeah, Jeff, well, we were just sitting in the hot tub and like hanging out there and he would ask a bunch of questions and just chat back and forth. Sorry, I'm kind of near the road, so there's, uh, cars going by. Um, but anyways, he, um, one night he had come out, he like followed us out to the car. And he was, you know, more inquisitive than normal that night, actually. And um, when we were um, saying goodbye and stuff, he had asked, um, he, he had said something about the light. And you had said, well, yeah, sometimes people say they can see it around me. He said, yeah, and that the night before that, he knew he could see it coming out of, like, all around and out of your head. And he was like, you just felt, you just looked like you were glowing. And... Um, yeah, and that's what he had said, and I thought that was interesting because, um, so not only has, has that happened, that before. yeah, but not only has that happened to you before, but when I was talking to you, that happened to me. Do you remember that? Yeah, when, yeah, when, um, yeah. when I called Kim the first time that we ever talked and I said, I don't know why, but I'm supposed to call you and talk to you. And God told me to tell you some things. And then I started answering the prayer that she yeah. had asked God, but she had not asked me. And I'd never talked to her before this point. I, we texted and we chatted, but we never talked. Yeah. Anyway, so when I gave you the full witness that God told me to give you, you felt it coming out of you as well. Yeah, I felt like I was like um, floating even, and it was just burning all around me and I felt like I was glowing. It was um, a really strong, powerful witness. Yeah. Now, Emmett, do you remember Jeff's occupation? Uh, no, I don't. <laughs> he, he was, was only a like... scientist. Yeah. Yeah, but Emmett loved to talk to him all the time. This is back in 2016. Yeah, yeah. He was a rocket scientist, and... Um, a very, very intelligent man, and he was a black man, yeah. but he was so fun to talk to, and that was actually the last night that we ever saw him. Yeah, then we didn't see him after that. Yep. He went up to Idaho so, for a job he had to do or something like that. Yes, I, I our, remember that. Um, I, our INL or the uh, Idaho uh, Nuclear Observatory or something like that. Yeah. yeah. The freaking guy was brilliant. And Kim and I, so back then, um, we used to, I used to deliver the mail from Carbon and Emory County to the Provo Distribution Center for the post office. And I'd be done around 8, 8.30. And we would go over to the Provo Rec Center every night. And the kids would play in the pool. And Kim and I would take turns going and sitting in the hot tub. Or sometimes we'd go sit there and the kids would just play in the shallow part where the 
we just watch him, you know, and we'd talk to people. And this, this just guy was like one of the guys that we used to talk to all the time. And he was not LDS, I don't think. No, what, he was LDS. Because didn't he invite us? He was, a, he was going to a singles ward. But he was like, he was like in his 40s, wasn't he? Wasn't he an older guy? I can see his face, but I can't remember. I don't know. Can you guys hear me? But I, yeah, I can hear you. Oh, mom um, dropped off. Oh, I guess. Yeah, on the studio, I think she did. Or she muted herself, one of those. But anyway, no, so yeah, I do remember. Off. Oh, okay. Um, But anyways, yeah, I do remember him and a lot of the conversations we have, but I don't remember how old he was. There's like a lot of information directly about him, I guess is a good way to describe it. Okay, I'm uh, unmuting Kim. Oh, nope, I'm not unmuting okay. Kim because my – hold on here. Let me see if I can do this. Okay, I was like, can you hear me? Can you hear me? Okay, so I was going to say yeah. before I dropped, um, so he uh, looked really – he looked like he was maybe in his 30s, like almost exactly 30. Um but the the most interesting thing, so I've known a lot of African-American, um, black, Indian, and a whole bunch of different um, darker-skinned people. And it's really awesome, though, because at a certain age, especially the men of that race, they actually look a lot younger for a longer period of time. So um, it's really hard to gauge how old he I, actually is I just by the way. I think he was in his. I think he said he was in his 50s. If, if I, I mean, it's been a while, but I think he was in his 50s. But he yeah, so he was probably that. older, yeah. but he does look really, really young. That's how they are. So um, one of my sister's ex-husbands, he was the same way. He was like 25 years older than her, and we didn't even know because <laughs> they all just look a lot younger. Yeah, well, that's probably not the case all the time, but... At least our uh, lived observance, it, maybe that's the case. Anyway, yeah, I just wanted to bring that up because I was talking about life recovering, and people are like, well, that means that means it's going to be a resurrected person or an angel, which contradicts what Joseph Smith taught about the subject. But also, there is life recovering, and I can't control who sees it, and I don't know when they see it. I can feel it on me when I'm preaching, especially in person. But I never know who who sees it. And the people, for the most part, when they see it, they always tell me a little bit later, you know, when you were preaching, I saw all this light coming out of you. I've only had one or two people that I can think of that have been like, oh, uh, there's light all around you right now. That doesn't usually happen. Usually people are too scared to talk about it. And then they, they work up their courage and tell me later. Some people... They don't ever say anything at all because I don't know why, but and I can feel it when it happens, but I'm never sure. And like I said, when I was up in uh, in Idaho and that preaching to those three guys, there was one guy out of the group that saw it, and the other two were like, "I don't see anything." So I don't know. I don't control it. I don't know who sees it, but it does happen. Anyway, go ahead, Emma. Okay, um, let me continue on. Uh, I believe we just got to page 180. <laughs> we certainly can't say that we haven't been warned. One of the strongest admonitions comes from Nephi. When he saw our day in referring 
to all churches, exclaimed, Yea, they all or they have all gone out of the way. They have become corrupted because of pride and because of false teachers and false doctrine. Their churches have become corrupted, and their churches are lifted up. Because of pride, they are puffed up. They rob the poor because of their fine sanctuaries. They rob the poor because of their fine clothing. And they persecute the meek and poor in heart because their pride are, or in their pride they are puffed up. They wear stiff necks and high heads. Yea, and because of pride and wickedness, wickedness and abominations and whoredoms, they have all gone astray, save it be a few who are the humble followers of Christ. Nevertheless, they are led that in many, or yeah, they are led that in many instances they do err, because they are taught by the precepts of men. Oh, the wise and the learned and the rich that are puffed up in the pride of their hearts, and all those who preach false doctrines, and all those who commit whoredoms, and pervert the right way of the Lord, woe, woe, woe be unto them, saith the Lord God Almighty, for they shall be thrust down to hell. Second Nephi. Uh, 28, 11, 2, 15. When Nephi refers to all churches, this does not exempt the LDS church. It has been prophesied, prophesied that the house of God would have to be set in order, CD&C 85-7. Also, that unfaithful and counterfeit prophets, apostles, and bishops will be condemned and replaced by others. For it shall come to pass that the inhabitants of Zion shall judge all things pertaining to Zion, and liars and hypocrites shall be proved by them. And they who are not apostles and prophets shall be known. And even the bishop, who is a judge, and his counselors, if they are not faithful in their stewardships, shall be condemned. And others shall be planted in their stead. D&C 64, 38-40. And we are on page 181, but there's only one sentence left in the chapter, so I'm going to finish it. There should be no question that currently we indeed have a house of or a house of confusion. Oh. Okay. Now we are on page 182, uh, at the beginning of chapter 13, which is sustaining and following the brethren. Anything to say? <laughs> no. Open the lines and do the preview. Okay. Um. How do I open the lines? <laughs> Just tell people the phone number to call in to, and then do the preview. Oh. Okay. So, um, if anyone here wants to call in to have a comment, um, you can call number nine one seven eight eight nine eight eight two seven. I repeat, nine one seven eight eight nine eight eight two seven. This will take you, I believe, into like a chat room or a screening room, one of those. <laughs> Um, but just call those, and I'm going to read the first page of chapter 13, Sustaining and Following the Brethren. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye, who, or ye are to whom ye obey. Romans 16.6. 6. Or no, Romans 6.16. 6, I read that backwards. When used in this context, to sustain means to support and uphold, to keep or to help keep an existence, to assist someone in his office and calling. It doesn't mean you necessarily have to agree with every word he says. Over 40 years ago, Elder Marion G. Romney related the following story. One day when President Grant was living, I sat in my office across the street following a general conference. 
a man came over to see me, an elderly man. He was very upset about what had been said in this conference by some of the brethren, including myself. I could tell from his speech that he came from a foreign land. After I had uh, quitted, or quieted him enough so he would listen, I said, Why did you come to America? I am here because a prophet of God told me to come, he said. Who is the prophet? I, com- uh, I continued. Wilford Woodruff, he said. Do you believe Wilford Wilder for the prophet of God? Yes, said he. Do you believe that his successor, President Lorenzo Snow, was a prophet of God? Yes, I do, he said. Uh, page 183, but I'm going to continue this story till the end. <laughs> do you believe that prophet, or President Joseph F. Smith was a prophet of God? Yes, sir. Then came the $64 question. Do you believe that Heber Grant is a prophet of God? His answer... I think he ought to keep his mouth shut about old age distance. <laughs> now I tell you that a man in his position is on the way to apostasy. He is forfeiting his chances for eternal life. So is everyone who cannot follow the living prophet of God. Uh, conference report, April 1953, page 125. And I believe that is where I'm ending us. Any callers? And what's the name of that uh, the chapter that we're going to be reading tomorrow? again chapter 13 sustaining and following the brethren okay all right we don't have any guest callers and nobody said anything in the chat room so we're just going to end the program for the t- uh, tonight um, go ahead and uh, hold on just a minute it's sleep away right Emmett you remember yeah okay so right. I guess yeah, Kim, did you have anything you wanted to say before we end the program for tonight? Nope, I'm good for tonight. Thanks for including me, and thanks for reading, Emmett, because it makes it so much easier for me on nights that I can't be here. You're welcome. I think it's fun to read, so I'm fine with doing and it. And <laughs> I'm glad that you guys... I'm glad that you guys are on, because like I've been accused so many times of making up all these stories and stuff. And I'm not making up stories. These things really do happen, and they really did happen. And even though not every – I don't have a witness for every time, you know, when I talk about commanding the elements or healing the sick or raising a a woman from the brink of death or the light or whatever, my family has been around me for nine years. It will be nine years in a month. Nine years ago – this yeah. month, no, last month, God told mm-hmm. Kim to marry me, and she's had a witness of that up this whole time. And mm-hmm. we didn't know what was going to We didn't have any clue what was going to happen. You know, like when we first got together, God told us to be together, but like no idea that all this was going to happen. So God commanded me to do a work. But, so, but I've been accused of lying, you know, so many times. But I'm just happy yeah. that my my family, Emma is a witness of some of these things. Kim is more of a witness because she's seen it more because she's around me more. You the know, thing she that, even you know, the thing that's hard, sorry, I just wanted to interject. The thing that's so hard about it is that, um, you know, we're just normal, regular people. You know what I mean? Like we're not trying to, you know, we're not trying to say that anything's better or that, you know, 
try to make people follow us or do anything like that. That's not what you're trying to do. And it's hard because for, you know, so long, everybody, when it comes to God and religion, you always are told, oh, you have to follow this guy. You have to follow this one person and you have to pay them them money and, you know, do whatever this person says to do. And that's not what is correct that's not what we're trying to do here that you know you know we just want the truth we want to follow the truth we want to follow god and we want people to follow god as well um and so it's super hard because this is you know how we study and you know this is how we are together and things don't go smooth and we get kicked off of this program off and on and off and on and you get haters on here and you know other places and they can say what they want to say we don't try to hide or be somebody that we're not we're just being us and so i know that a lot of times when people are looking for you know maybe a spiritual being to come down out of the sky and glow with light and you know i don't know what whatever it is that you feel like you're waiting for um but sometimes what you're asking for And what you're waiting for are two different things. And God is trying to, you know, teach. He's trying to help and he's trying to, you know, send the lifelines that you're asking for. And sometimes it's not in the form of let me just give you everything you're asking for. Sometimes it's a, this is going to test your faith and this is going to help lead you to me. And that's what he needs you to do. He needs you to be closer to him. He needs you to have a relationship with him. And if it's by this means and, you know, by the way that um, he has us talk to people and help everybody out, then that's the, this is the way that it's going to be. Um, sometimes it comes in the form of hard lessons, you know, and I don't like those ones so much myself, but, you know, that's another way that it gets taught. Anyways, we love to talk to people too, so if you uh, – had any questions or comments even or where you feel like something is not accurate or you feel like uh, your idea of things is different we love to hear about it we like to talk to people because we're normal people you know in so much that we're just a family who uh, loves God and is trying to do what God asked us to do the best of our ability well, that and, like, there's been so many times I'm like, God, why did you even choose me? I'm not refined. I don't even fit the mold of these other guys who proclaim to be prophet seers and revelators. You know, I'm a truck driver. I've been homeless. I was a drug addict when I was a teenager. And all of, and I'm still not refined. Um, but I do love God, and I do have a witness. And... I wish I was better than I am, but I'm, I am who I am, and God still chose me. He forgives me for my weaknesses, and he is patient with my shortcomings, and he called me to this work, and I can't deny my, my ministry or my witness. And uh, the main reason why I talk about these fundamental things is I want to pe- people to see how they have changed the teachings to get them loosed from following these false leaders. Hold on, I'm moving forward here. You know, like to stop trusting in their fellow man, but go to God. And my main message 
after my witness of the Father and the Son is we can all receive revelation and we all should receive revelation. We can all go to God and we don't have to rely upon a man to have a relationship with God. And even though uh, there is a requirement to be sealed up to myself as the Lord's anointed because of the law of adoption, beyond that, that's, it's just teaching. And it's getting people to go to God and stop relying upon their own interpretations and traditions and stop relying upon other men to lead them because they're not being led correctly. The gospel doesn't change just because some new guy comes in charge. You know, like, they just don't. So, and the church has changed so many things, and people need to know it. And they're not getting it in the church because it's controlled through the correlation department. So, uh, I just wish people would repent and come out of Babylon. And you know what? There is a time, there is a storm gathering. And I've been sent before the storm to gather up Zion and uh, to lead people into places of safety. And um, it's coming, and I can't stop it, and I don't know what's going to happen. I've just been told to do what I've been told to do, and I'm trying to be obedient to that. So anyway, uh, with that being said, I think we'll be done with the program for tonight. And uh, take care, everyone. God bless, and goodbye. Have a good night, everyone, or whatever time of day it is for where you are. Um, I'm going to play the music now, I guess. Goodbye.
With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.